Listening to your old friends Ron and Don on the Ron and Don Radio Network, man. <laughs> hey, you guys, what's going on? Welcome to episode 468 now of the Ron and Don Show. And heck yeah, we are live from the Les Schwab Studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, you may have heard this Pete Carroll is missing Bobby Wagner, but is he missing that other guy? Yeah, how about that? Also, when it comes to Native Americans, do we have our history backwards as we just celebrated Thanksgiving and we get ready for the rest of the holidays? Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. Jeff Bezos has now come out and said that he's going to give it all away. He's going to give all his money away, or at least most of it. What's interesting to me about him saying this now As you think back on Microsoft, when they really began to struggle, the stock price was struggling, they had to innovate, do we rebuild the campus? And then Bill came out and said what? He said, you know, I want to be just like my dad. I want to give it all away, except for about 2 or 3%. He's going to leave the 2 or 3% for his kids. But when you think about it, it really changed the way that we all felt about Bill Gates. And I think a lot of us have a lot of feelings about Jeff Bezos, and especially that flying penis <laughs> of a rocket, wow. uh, his rocket science bill. But Ron, why do you think he's coming out now and saying this? Do you think he means it? Or do you think he's trying to manipulate the rest of us so we'll keep buying Amazon this holiday season? Boy, I try to not to read into people's hearts when they are trying to do something philanthropic and, and give someone the benefit of the doubt uh, to do what they say they're going to do. Having said that, it's got to be really hard to be in a specific mode of your life uh, for decades and then to come out of that mode. And what I mean by that is, you know, this really was a revolutionary time, like the the confluence, you know, you go back and you read, we, we always reference the Steve Jobs book. And in that book, he talks about how it, there was this one specific time and place and intersection uh, in the history of computing that happened. And if you were there and you were poised, you made it big. So you bring up Bill Gates, you bring up uh, Steve Jobs and, and Wozniak and all of those, Larry Ellison, all those guys were in close proximity together and they happened to be at the right place in the right time and they had the, the right skill set to see what was going to happen and to move on. Jeff Bezos was the next generation of that uh, as the, the internet was poised to, to you know, change the world. He saw, hey, if I can build the platform that sells things, this is going to be a thing. And I have clear memories of, you know, the idea of putting your credit card into a website seemed like you were handing over your life to a, a pirate ship. Like, I remember they're like, you're, you're going to put your credit card on the internet? What are you, crazy? So, like, he had to overcome a lot of obstacles to get this to happen. And so you're laser-focused on that. And it's famous that for the first 
years of Amazon, they plowed all of the money that they made, if there was any, back into the company just over and over and over again. And they would consistently show no profit year in and year out. As a publicly traded company, investors were like, Dude, when are you guys going to show a profit? How can you be building all these buildings in Seattle? How can Jeff Bezos be one of the wealthiest people on the planet and you have no profit? That's because of the way they did their accounting. They would invest it all back in. So that had to consume everything in his life for just you. You're constantly thinking about how do we grow this company? How do we make it profitable? How are we, you know, he tried to take on, you know, cloud computing became their biggest money uh, earner. So you have, you know, the sales part, cloud computing, the delivery part. We had all the stories about them making delivery drones. And so it just kept growing and growing and growing into all these different platforms, Alexa and home security, et cetera, et cetera. We could go on and on forever for all these categories in the innovation. And then, you, you know, at a certain point, you run out of gas on that and you're like, hey, I'm getting older. Uh, something usually happens like a parent dies or he gets a divorce, whatever. There's a life event that happens that goes, oh yeah, I'm not going to live forever. Um, what is this all for? How much money do I really need? How much power do I really need? A am I actually happy? Uh, I think there's a big thing when you go through a divorce, like I went through a divorce and everybody I've talked to that's gone through a divorce, you have this moment where you're like, you go, what do I like again? Like, what am I into? Like, I've spent so much time in this one mode where you go, like a big one for me is I remember it's like, oh yeah, like I like to listen to music when I'm cooking dinner, turned up loud. And like my ex didn't like that. And so I got in the habit of, you know, turning the stereo off and then you just something simple like that. We're like, oh yeah, that was me. I enjoyed that thing, and now I'm going to rediscover that. So I think for Jeff Bezos, you sort of come out of this brain fog, if you will, of everything all the time being about this company that you founded to going, okay, what now? What is important to me now? Uh, and if that means that he sort of finally – I think there's a – a process you go through where you either are going to become Larry Ellison and go, I want to buy Hawaiian Island. I want to invent the fastest sailboat in the world. And I want to have all the toys jets and houses everywhere. And, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily bad because if you have the money to do that and that's your thing, Paul Allen had a little bit of that in him. I want a yacht with a recording studio and I want you two to fly in and record a song on my yacht. Okay. You can do that. I want to own my own submarine. I want a jet collection. Um, he still gave away a lot of money because he was rich enough to do that. But he also, I'm going to buy sports teams. You know, he went out and did things that he thought were going to be fun. So you either pick that lane or you now have the Bill Gates, you know, uh, Buffett examples where it's like, I'm going to pick this other lane. And so it seems like, and I think his new girlfriend slash fiance, whatever, maybe is, is pulled him towards, I think in today's more enlightened thing, you don't need any more toys. People think you're a bit of a showboat and an a-hole with the way you've done these things, like the trip to space. And so even though she's going to go to space and an all female crew that maybe you should explore this giving it away thing yeah so you see so you don't think it's tied to amazon at all you think you you think there's 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 something that that's really really changed there he's given over the reins officially to amazon like 
he's still involved of course and hasn't completely severed ties but dude is at his mansion in los angeles and he's uh, looking at space rockets and like they're doing stuff so he, he is I don't, I don't think if you go in to the spheres today that jeff bezos is walking around like he is not in seattle uh very much and so he probably pops in and has a bird's eye view over things and might you know, give his opinion on guiding. Like, for instance, I've heard rumors that they might just kill the Alexa program. It's but that was one of his pet programs. It loses money year over year. They keep thinking they're going to be able to monetize it, and they can't. And so, there's a lot of people going, "Yeah, Jeff's gone. Like, why don't we just put a bullet in in, in Alexa? What we've been doing because it's a loser every year. Uh, and so, he might come in and and have something to say about that. But it's not in his control anymore. I think it's interesting, especially if you're, if, if, as you get up in years, as you get older, and especially if you're a person of means and, and Ron, I think you make, make a lot of good points. If we, we often talk on this show about Steve jobs and the Walter Isaacson book, and I've read that book. It's I, and I read real fast, but I slow read that book, uh, because there's a mirror in there for all of us. And, and, and Jeff, it went, well, when when you look at Jeff Bezos, and 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 I wonder if he's read the book too, because at the end of the book, and not to not to give it away, if you haven't, if it, it's been out there a while. Spoiler alert: but, Steve Jobs yeah. died. But it but it's pretty amazing that that Steve Jobs is in his house in Palo Alto. He never locked the back door. The back door leads to the bedroom, and one day Bill Gates walks in and sits down, and they have a conversation. And if you've never read that conversation, uh, because they had been good friends and confidants, and then they became became bitter enemies, and then it's Bill coming to see Steve Jobs when he's literally on his deathbed. He is on his deathbed, and they sit there together. Bill lets himself in unannounced, and they have about a four-hour conversation. And, and, and what you realize at the end of the conversation is that Bill Gates has an opportunity, right, for another chapter of his life. And for Steve Jobs, it's over. Even in the way that he died, because he was so stubborn, he participated in his death. He had the kind of cancer that could have been cured, but he was so stubborn. Uh, and I was so I would just encourage you. There's a reason why Apple is called Apple, because he used to eat a lot of apples, because he thought that that would help him uh, cure his cancer. So much so that his skin would begin to turn green and red. It's amazing. But, but after you read that, especially if you're a person like Bill or you're someone like Jeff, I, I know them on a first-name basis. Yes. You, you, you read that and you have to walk away and say, you know what? Uh, I only have so many minutes and moments. As Ron just said, how much more money do I need? And it's one thing to say that you're going to give away some of your wealth, but it's another thing to sign that letter like a lot of people have done with the Bill and Linda Gates Foundation, uh, over 212 people so far that I know of, that have signed that letter that said, I'm going to give most of it away. And I think one of the reasons why they want to give most of it away, especially during their lifetime, is it gives them an opportunity to participate in their legacy. And if you have a lot of ego, at the end of the day, legacy becomes so important. 
We will see you on the other side. Laura Miller is one of the leading commercial real estate brokers around the Sound. You see her name everywhere. But when she needed to sell her own home in West Seattle, she turned to Ron and Don. Don came with Ron. He was incredibly well prepared. They were just really impressive. And the things that they outlined that they were, were going to provide their services were, it just made it easy. It was a laydown. As someone who regularly handles multi-million dollar deals, Laura has high standards and expectations, and she says the guys exceeded them. I like to have a fair amount of communication as to what's going on in the market. What are you doing today <laughs> to um, you know, move the sale forward? And they were collaborative. They came forward with some really great ideas, even little details like, could you water the plant while you're there? They're like, uh, of course. And they would show me them watering the plant. <laughs> In no time, they got a deal done. Laura got even more than she hoped for. And she says she couldn't be more impressed with their service, attention to detail and results. They do have a way of making you feel like they're your only client. <laughs> I can't wait to do another deal with them. It was great. It was awesome. You did really well. They're awesome. They are just people you want to hang out with. <laughs> and if you're ready to get more for your door and work with some pretty awesome guys as well, it all starts with a Ron and Don sit down at ronanddon.com. Sign up for the nation news at ronanddonradio.com. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. I might got the episode wrong off off the top. We've done 477 episodes. Yeah, that is pretty unbelievable. And uh, we're just looking at some stats for the year. And what's really amazing, this is one of the most shared news talk podcasts in the world, right? Yeah, they do these uh, Spotify or Apple uh, music. They always give you sort of your gear and review uh, it's funny when you look online and people get it, they're like, oh my God, this is so accurate. It's like, yeah, that's because it's the, the data from your channel. Um, so they go through and they rank podcasts. There are so many podcasts in the world right now uh, that they sort of just give you what, what your percentage is among all podcasts. And yeah, so we're, I think, in the top 10% of shared podcasts in the world. Yeah, that's like amazing. How, how, what percentage gets shared? Yeah. Thank you, guys. We really, uh, we really appreciate that. That means a lot to us. Um, anyway, Ron and I grew up uh, in New Mexico, and in New Mexico, uh, you grew up around a lot of Native Americans. And what was interesting growing up in New Mexico and places like Arizona, and we lived in California as well, in Texas, is many, 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 I think of the Pueblo Indians, for instance, uh, that we live close to, or the Navajo. Uh, you you think about the alcoholism and you also think about the unemployment. You think about the land that was given to them that is just barren and in a lot of places just ugly. You can't farm it. You can't do anything with it. And, and when I think about just the poverty, the poverty is amazeballs until something happened. Till men started showing up from places like Chicago and they said, Hey, you know what? We'd like to make a deal. How about we come here and we build a gambling facility. We'll give everybody here a cut. 
Uh, everybody will get a check each and every month. Everybody get a home. Everybody get a truck. Everybody get a car. Whatever it is you need. Anybody, everybody can get a job if you want a job. And then what we'll do 20 years from now, 25 years from whatever it is, we will turn around after you've learned to run this and we've made a lot of money. We'll turn around, we'll hand you the keys and we'll walk away. So a lot of what you see here in Washington State with a lot of gaming just doesn't happen here in Washington State. It happens all over the country. And as a result of that, a lot of these places where Native Americans have been stuck have found some kind of viability. I think about growing up in Albuquerque and driving to Santa Fe, which is an hour north, and you would never see anything there, or driving to a place called Cuba, New Mexico. And on the way there, you'd have to drive through a reservation. And on the way there, maybe you'd stop and buy something at a roadside stand. Maybe you'd buy some cookies that were freshly made, or maybe uh, someone had just baked some bread, or the Native Americans make some amazing tamales and some other things. Uh, now, many of those tamale stands are gone, <laughs> and there's a lot of big game that's happened uh, as a result of that. So as we think about Native Americans, as we think about the Washington, yeah, I got to change the name there. It still bothers me to turn, turn on Chiefs game and, and see the chance that people are doing on a Monday night football game. I, I, don't, I, I don't know how in today's age that the NFL and, and, and the Chiefs, how they get away with that, right? Or you watch some of the Florida teams, uh, the Florida Seminoles, or some of the things that they do in the stands that absolutely positively drives me nuts. And maybe I'm a little sensitive about it, uh, born in Chicago, but growing up uh, in New Mexico. Anyway, new article out, some new research says that maybe when it comes to Native Americans and the history in this country, uh, and I think a lot of us are thinking about this as we've just gone past Thanksgiving into the holidays, that Ron, maybe, uh, maybe we got it all wrong. I don't know if we got it all wrong. We got the the telling of it may not be accurate because of the perspective. And so there's a it's actually a new book that's come out, and it's called Indigenous Continent: The Epic Conquest for North America. And I have no idea how to pronounce this author's na author's name. Pekka Hamaleian, I believe, is how you say the name. And it's a it's a very big book, like six hundred and some odd pages long. And so, what it attempts to do, and this I found fascinating as I read this article, it attempts to retell American history as we all learned it, but from the side of the people that were already here. And so, the the beginning of the book sort of uh, goes to establish that there were. North America was entirely inhabited. Uh, it was not some, you know, Antarctica uninhabited space. And it tries to set up, well, what, what is the structure of this society? Because um, we all know the sort of European, Judeo-Christian, you know, law-based uh, structure that we have now that we sort of inherited from England and France and a lot of different places. Like what was the structure then said, so, well, it was a lot of different tribes that had a lot of different belief structures and a lot of different ways that they expressed themselves. So you could go here, like you brought up Washington state everywhere from like the Snoqualmie and, and Puyallup and Salish and all of these tribes on the West coast to the ones in New Mexico, like the Apache and the Comanche and uh, Native Americans down there. You go to like the Sioux tribes in the upper Midwest and then all the way to the East Coast, the Seminoles you brought up in, in Florida. And so there were tribes 
everywhere across North America. And all of the, they're, they're not monolithic, the Indians, you know, as, as it's sort of when you and I did high school history, it was taught like, Hey, the Indians were here. And then, you know, Christopher Columbus landed and we're off to the races for American history. Uh, at least that's the way I remember it in my history class. And so you'd have, it was these big sweeping things you know, Christopher Columbus lands, and then you have everything after that. Then you have the Spanish arrive, everything after that. And then you had the Europeans arrive, everything after that. And so what this book tries to, to do is say, time out. Like, that's not really how it happened. There was long stretches. You know, when you go into your history book, they might jump forward 50 years or 100 years sometimes and what happened in those 50 to 100 years? And so what they try to say is there was a lot of moving about and power struggles between native tribes and also between native tribes and settlers. And they do talk about, you know, America would just sort of go, you know, the fledgling government would go, hey, white people, go to Georgia and whatever land you plant your flag in is now your land. Build a fence, build a house. Uh, farm that land, that's your land now. And the tribes that were there who had a different way of interacting with nature and a different worldview were sort of like, what do you mean you own this land? We've, we've been occupying this land for as long as there was recorded history. You know, you can't buy and sell land. Like that's not how it works. And yet basically with the backing of sort of this European mindset, it's like, Hey, if they're not going to comply, take them out. And so that struggle that may have lasted decades or generations is sort of explored in this book. I, I, I want to read it and I'm trying to be realistic with myself. I don't know if I can digest a 680 page book right now. And so I went to the Amazon page. I looked at, I was like, Oh, do they have an audio book? Like, is there some, some way? Cause it's very intriguing to me. I, I might need to just sort of go, okay, buckle down, get the book. Uh, even if you have to skip over some parts, but I find it really, really fascinating to, to get it from the other side of history. I would love to have this book as well from the side of the tribes in West Africa when, you know, Europeans came and basically started capturing their people. What does that history look like from the other perspective? Yeah, and, th and, and think about what we brought to the Native Americans. We brought guns, shoot them. We brought horses, right? So we could have dominance. We brought disease. So if we didn't shoot them, we could kill them with the disease that we brought. Uh, we also brought a lot of Europeans that Europe didn't want. We absolutely opened up prison systems and said, get the out. Uh, alcohol. Yeah, we gave them alcohol. Uh, we gave them Calvinistic religion. And then we uh, and then we brought along slaves, right? So think about looking at that from their perspective, if you can, instead of just pushing back. But really think about those things that were that were brought to these shores. We will see you on the other side of this. Hey, you guys, I'm sitting here with Mitch Weeks right now, one of the great sponsors of the Ron and Don Show. He is a mortgage broker, and you can find out more about him at Mitch.loans.
Hey, a really cool time to be creative when it comes to being a buyer. And there's sellers right now that are stepping up and saying, let me help the buyer by doing something called a buy down, right? Yeah, they are. And it's one of those things that's beneficial for both sides. Sellers give money up front for the buyers to buy down their rate and save money for the life of the loan. It's a really creative solution, really working for a lot of people. Yeah, there's also something called a 2-1. What's a 2-1? A 2-1 is where you get your rate bought down 2% for the first year, 1% for the second year, and then after that, you're home free in your current rate. But it's great savings up front, and then you have a chance to refi over the next two years. Yeah, good news, good time to be a buyer, good time for sellers to be creative and help that buyer. And Mitch, you can help everyone. Uh, how do people reach out? Go to Mitch.loans, set up a meeting, and let's figure out a creative solution for you. All right, you guys, welcome back to episode 477. Don't forget, if you need us, ronadonsitdown.com. And uh, we know a lot of people right now are struggling when it comes to real estate. In fact, there's certain parts of the country uh, where home sales are down by 40%. How about that? Not here in the great specific Northwest. If you need us, think about buying, selling, investing. We're here from you. Let's sit down today. It's uh, ronandonsitdown.com. And let's do that because here comes the new year. Before we get out of here, uh, there's an article today, and you probably read this a couple days ago. Uh, that Pete Carroll, Seahawks, they really miss Bobby Wagner. Uh, well, let's not forget there's another Seahawk that disappeared about the same time that Bobby Wagner disappeared. Um, do you think Pete Carroll misses Russell Wilson? And do you think he has empathy for what Russell Wilson is going through right now in, in Denver? Um, it says, I just read an article, a, a similar or take on this from our old pal, uh, Danny O'Neill, that used to work at ESPN and he's got a, a sub stack out now if you want to find him. But he talked about this of like the NFL and its ruthlessness. And he brought up Bobby Wagner where it's like, what kind of fan do you want to be? You know, the fan that wins a lot of football games or the fan that hangs on to player legacy players. And he said they probably hung on to Bobby Wagner a year too long out of feeling like he was a legacy player. And he's like, the business of the NFL is to get rid of a guy while he still has tread on the tires. Like if you really want to win and, and the Patriots did this for a lot of years where they, someone would still have a little bit of tread on the tire, they would cut him get another guy in for cheaper uh, to fill the shoes and the only guy that was sacrosanct in that was tom brady but they did it to tom brady too tom brady won a super bowl after them and so most nfl teams that fall in love with a guy like bobby wagner um because he's a guy that you should fall in love with with character and you know gives it all including his body up for a franchise you end up hanging on to them too long uh, and then they don't have the value anymore as a commodity. And so, the, you know, if you think about players as commodities, then it's really hard to be detached. You know, you have to detach yourself and go, this guy is just, he's a number on a page and he produces this amount of football things and it has a specific worth and so doing that calculus is very hard i think they saw that with russell wilson i think they, they saw russell wilson uh because he is hard to work with apparently uh he is demanding uh he has a lot of uh 
people in his orbit that you have to put up with uh, as a football team that wears on you. It wears you down. And so I think they did the calculus and was like, hey, I think we've done all we can do with this guy. Like, we can't contain the ego. We can't contain his ambition. He doesn't think, we, he thinks we're holding him back and we know that we're not. So let's see what we can get for him. They were able to get a lot for him. I think they're happy. I think they, him and John Schneider probably still raise a glass and, and clink those glasses on how, on how great that Russell Wilson trade is for the Seahawks. Bobby Wagner, different story. It's good to get people, if you're nostalgic, you can think back on that, but they made the right decision there too, I, th- I believe. What do you think? Well, I think in Denver right now, people are pissed off. In fact, Denver, by the time you hear this, they played. A, they were supposed to play a night game. The night game got pulled because of the flex schedule. And I think people in Denver, and I have family in, in Colorado. I think, I think, I think they're relieved because it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to have the kind of dominant defense they have. It, they, they're the Legion of Boom Part Two in Denver, and then to be able to go out and not score many points. And I, I and I don't think Pete Carroll was trying to push Russell Wilson out. I think he was one of the guys that was trying to keep him, but Russell wanted to go. And and I think what Russell didn't didn't understand is that uh, Pete Carroll created an environment where Russell Wilson, with his skill set, could thrive. And he's not thriving with his particular skill set right now in Denver. And I don't know if he's going to thrive anywhere. Uh, and he had a lot of stinker games, you guys. Lots of stinker games Russell Wilson had. But it was the defense many, many times that figured out a way to go score. And they figured out a way to win. And they figured out a way to keep it close. And they figured out a way to keep it with a field goal. And uh, and when you think about the audience, the 12s, that stadium, that place to play. Now think about a stadium that is completely turned on you and your head coach and every time Russell Wilson steps out there, that's what he's facing. I also thought when he recently had his birthday party, he was talking about all the guys he's close to in the, in the locker room and that half the guys showed up for his birthday party and he's naming the guys that, that showed up who he feels a connection with and all that. I, I don't know that this would be the year that I'd be having a birthday party for myself. I, I just don't know. <laughs> I always used to chuckle when people would celebrate the, look how many come from behind victories he's got. Fourth quarter touchdown. I was like, yeah, that means you're behind a lot. <laughs> Hey, you guys, thanks for listening to episode 477. We sure do appreciate it. If you need Ron, just uh, reach out. Ron is at Ronadon. Uh, just write him, Ron at Ronadon.com. I'm Don at Ronadon.com. And uh, he's Ron Upshaw. I'm Don O'Neill and Don O'Neill34 on my Instagram, on Facebook. And uh, we'd love to connect with you. If you want to get signed up for our newsletter, stay in touch with us. Uh, go to Ronadonsitdown.com and you can sign up for a sit down where we can have a chat and we can talk about your real estate journey. And if you're thinking about your real estate journey next year, now is the time to be talking about it this year because you need a lot of runaways sometimes when you're selling a home or a condo, whatever it is. Or if you're beginning to shop and look, now is a great time to shop and look because don't forget, as they say, you can kind of date the interest rate because you know those interest rates are going to fluctuate and change, but you can marry the property. And right now is a great time, especially during the holidays and right after the holidays, uh, to go out and write an offer on a... um, on a great home. Anyway, you guys, thanks for listening to us. We sure do appreciate it. We just looked at the stats. We're up 10% from last year. So the podcast continues to grow and it continues to grow because you continue to share it and uh, let people know where they can find Ron and Don and Ron and Don radio till next time. Keep your head up, shoulders back. You listen to the Ron and Don show on the Ron and Don radio network.
Now keep your head up and your shoulders back. And keep blowing that trumpet, and we'll see you next time. Only! 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 On the Ron Don Radio Network.